Good morning, everyone. Thanks be unto the Lord who always causes us to triumph. That's what the word says. I, I didn't say that. That's what the word said. Who always causes us to triumph. What does the word always mean? Oh, someone knows the definition of always. It's always. So do you mean when you are facing a financial difficulty and it seems like you don't have what you need? Does that verse apply to you still? What about if you have stood for your healing for some time? Does that verse still apply or is it just true sometimes? Always. Thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph. So I just want to stir you up this morning. I just feel the Holy Spirit just wanting to just minister this scripture to us. I feel this morning that if you'll reach out, someone will receive a rhema word this morning and receive a seed and foundation for faith and then receive what they have been standing God for. Hallelujah. What they've been believing God for. Thanks be unto God who always, let's say it again, who always causes us to triumph. Hallelujah. Do we believe that this morning or not? I tell you what, the word says to stir up our mind, our pure mind by way of remembrance. It's important to stir yourself up. Most importantly, you stir yourself up with your mouth. This is your stir right here. You stir with your mouth. You speak those things that are not as though they were. That's what the word says. That's what faith is. And that's what's pleasing to God. And we're going to talk about faith this morning. And you say, dear Lord, Greg, how many times can you talk about faith? That's what the young adults are saying. That's what the kids back in crew are saying. That's what the youth are saying. But I'm here to tell you this morning that this is a message that does not grow old. This is a message that we have to have because it's the very foundation of our lives in God. Because it all began by faith. It began by the faith that God had when he spoke those things that were not as though they were, and they formed at the, at the unciation of those words. When he said, light be, he spoke into a situation where there was no light. There was no illumination, but yet he manifest that from nothing by the word of faith. And I tell you this morning, God says, I've created you in my image, just as he told Adam that. Would you receive the word as you were being spoken to in the place of Adam? He says, I have made you in my image. And if I am a being of faith and I create by faith and speak those things that are not as though they were, then so too my people who are called by my name, who are made in my image, must do the same. You live and create your world. You frame the context of the existence of your life by faith. And we're going to learn this morning about some concepts of faith that I think some of you have never heard. I just believe this morning by the unciation of the Holy Spirit that I'll be a pure vessel, that he'll be able to pour forth through me truth. Jesus, we invite your light. And we reverence and honor the light and truth of Jesus this morning. Father God, we ask you for the word of, of heaven. We ask you for the bread of heaven. We ask you for rhema. We ask you for 
your spoken word to us that will become the foundation of faith. And that we'll be hearers and then we'll be doers, Father God, of what we hear. And we'll receive that this morning. And Holy Spirit, I just yield my vessel to you. All the praise and the glory and the honor goes unto you, Holy Spirit. Father God, Jesus, we exalt you to the highest place this morning in Jesus' name. And I thank you for good soil, for ears to hear and eyes to see this morning in Jesus' name. So I was coming in and Teresa said, so I hear we're gonna, we've got a good preacher this morning. And I said, oh, really? I said, well, one thing I can guarantee you is, is as long as this person will be a vessel, the Holy Spirit's always good. He make anybody look good. So if you just yield your vessel and members to the Holy Spirit, he'll make you look good because he is good. Hallelujah. So there's nothing about the vessel. It's about the contents. You know, I'm a person that loves to cook. I love good food. Amen. Anyone like good food? I like good food, man. I mean, I like in any kind. I don't care. I love Indian food, brother, one of these days. And I love it, man. I love good ethnic foods. I don't care what it is. Now, I've never had African cuisine. I've never had African cuisine. I'm open to it, though. Always try anything once if it's meant to be eaten. I'm not like, I'm not like oh, what's his face that does the bizarre foods, Andrew Zimmerman or whatever his name is. Uh, some of that stuff is over the top. It's not meant to be eaten. <laughs> But I tell you what, this morning, let's eat from the table of the Lord. Amen? He's prepared a bounty before us at all times. In the presence of our enemies, it says that he prepares a table. Amen? Hallelujah. So if you have some enemies this morning, let's sit down and eat. And make a mockery and open show of their weakness in the face of our God. Amen? Hallelujah. So faith, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? Faith, what's the big deal? Well, let's look at Jesus' ministry this morning. And like I said, this is going to be a little bit of unorthodox approach to faith because I'm going to give you some concepts that I believe you have never heard before, some of you all. So let's look at Jesus' ministry. I think that's a good place to start, don't you? So if we look at John 3:34, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to say it to you. If you look at John 3:34, you'll find that it says that the Spirit of God, the Father gave Jesus the Spirit without measure. And if you see that, and I've read this a lot of times, and I'll stand corrected, but in my heart I've read that, and I've never, I have, I've always acknowledged, yes, Jesus, of course, the Spirit without measure. But I've heard a lot of people say, well, we receive the Spirit with measure. And that has always kind of not seemed right to me. Now, I stand corrected. This is thus saith Greg. Okay, is there, everyone realize this is thus saith Greg? But I'm like Paul. I, too, have the Spirit of God. Okay? And I've asked the Holy Spirit, please correct me if I'm wrong. But I believe when you see this Scripture, that the Father... Who was talking in the Scripture? Guess what? It was John the Baptist. He was talking about Jesus. And he was talking about how none before him, how Jesus had received the Spirit without measure. I believe that up until that time, no one had had the, the fullness of the Spirit that Jesus had. And that's what I believe that Scripture means. And I say that to say that we, because Jesus said, as I am, so you too also are in this world. 
So what that means is, is that if it was good enough for Jesus, then it's good enough for me. If he operated by the Spirit of God, then I have to operate by the Spirit of God if I'm going to do those works that he did and even greater works. Amen? Do you see what I'm saying? And so this morning, what I'm saying to you is, I think that we should not limit our understanding or our expectation to seeing Jesus as different in terms of a human flesh and blood vessel for the Spirit of God to use than the way we are. If we are, then things are different. If we are, then Jesus had some exceptions that I don't get to operate in, and it's not fair. Huh? I know this challenges some thinking, and I know this is thus saith Greg. But I ask you to think about it and ponder it and ask the Holy Spirit. I believe that if we are to be as Jesus is in this world, if we are truly what he said, and later on Jesus even said that I am not of the world, well, he said he was praying to the Father and said they are not of the world, just like I am not of the world. And, of course, he was speaking prophetically after the cross. Realize that Jesus operated in a plane of the spirit that no man had ever operated in up until that point because no man had lived righteously before God and the spirit of God could only come upon men and not within them. But hallelujah, after Jesus, death, burial and resurrection and seating at the right hand of God, he said, I'll send if you'll tarry in Jerusalem, I'll send a comforter and he'll give you power. And guess what? It's the same power that Jesus had. Because he said, if you'll believe in me, the works that I do, he shall do also. And greater works than these shall he do. Well, how are we going to do the greater works or the works themselves? We do them by the Spirit of God, just like Jesus did. And I believe now, past the cross, past the resurrection, past being seated with him in heavenly places, and past the Spirit of God being sent by the Father and poured out upon all flesh, hallelujah, we are as Jesus in this world. Okay, so I submit that to you this morning. And that was an aside. I'm not going to charge for that. But Jesus had the Spirit without measure to that point. It was the greatest portion received by man to date. But let me tell you something this morning. Let me reveal something to you. This did not give him carte blanche to wield the power of God at will. Do you know what carte blanche means? It means a blank check. For those of y'all that speak French, is that correct? Carte blanche. It means a bl- it's like a blank check. If I was to give you a blank check and I said, here you go, brother, you can use this however you want, what would you do with that? A whole lot, he says. A whole lot. And I better have a whole lot. And you know what? God has a whole lot. And I tell you, if he gave us carte blanche of the Spirit of God, there's a whole lot we could do. And that's why I submit to you yet again, Jesus had the Spirit without measure. And I submit to you this morning, we too also have the potential to operate as Jesus in the Spirit, but we measure the Spirit. So we may not have the Spirit without measure, but it's not because it can't be endued upon us. It's because we put the measures on the Spirit. Do you see what I'm saying? Jesus operated as a vessel with no measure on the Spirit. That's what I believe that means. 
I believe he did operate at the highest level a human has ever operated in terms of operating in the spirit of God. But the perfect will of God is that we would operate in the same capacity of power of the spirit. But not a single person has done that because we measure the spirit. We put measures on it. Okay, so, so this did not, just because the Spirit, Jesus operated in the Spirit of God without measure, did not give him a blank check to just wield the power of God like a big tank with shells just shooting out whenever he wanted to. Boom! Boom! And whenever he wanted to shoot the power of God, he could just do it whenever. No. No, he did not have carte blanche for that. So let me give you some examples. How about the pool of Bethesda? Only one man was healed at the pool. And yet if you look at the pool of Bethesda, it represent, it had five porches. And it actually represented a place of mercy. If you look at the, the translation of what the name Bethesda means, it means a place of mercy, of healing. A place of mercy. And the porches were full, it says, of people that were indigent, that were crippled from birth. People that were diseased, that had leprosy, that had all kinds of manner of crippling diseases, disabling and, and terminal diseases. And they were laying everywhere on those five porches. Yet there was only one man that was healed by Jesus. Come on now. Only one man. I submit to you that's an example. If Jesus had carte blanche to just do whatever he wanted to with the Spirit of God, the power that he had, him operating without limits in the Spirit, then I submit to you, why didn't he go heal all the rest of them? Huh? There's a purpose for this. How about another example? Jesus' hometown of Nazareth. I think I've told you all before, if you go back and study Nazareth, Nazareth was white trash central back in the day. I mean, it was redneck capital of the Middle East. Jeff Foxworthy would have come from Nazareth. And I say that because I'm a redneck. I'm white trash in some ways, in somebody's definition. So I say that as part of come on, come all, you know. So I can identify with this. And my Jesus is from Redneck City. Hallelujah. Matter of fact, there was someone that even said, can anything good come from Nazareth? I think it was Nathaniel. Can anything good come from Nazareth? When he heard about Jesus. That's him saying, can anything good come from Redneck Town? It says in Mark 6, 5, y'all can, if you're taking notes, can write these down. Mark 6, 5, it says that there in his hometown, Jesus could there do no mighty work, except save that he heal only a few sickly folks. And if you look at the word sickly, it only means people with minor ailments, stuff like headaches, little, you know, some back aches, maybe their finger hurts, their kneecap hurts. He can only heal just very minor, minor ailments. You didn't see any raisings from the dead. You didn't see people with eyes that, that were blind from birth come back to, to a, a full 2020 vision. You didn't see ears pop open that were, that were uh, deaf from birth. All you saw was a few sickly folks. I submit to you again, if Jesus had the spirit without measure and could go carte blanche with anything, with the power of God, why? Why is it only just a certain things, sickly folk that were healed in Nazareth? Why? Again, this, I'm trying to build a point here. Third example, man, the man that was let down through the roof. And there's a whole bunch of examples. 
I'm just giving you three ones that came by the Spirit of God as I was writing these notes down. How about the man that was let through the roof? If you go back and read the account in Luke 5, 17 through 25, you'll see that it starts out the whole thing saying that the power of God was present to heal. And you know what? It was a bunch of teachers of the law, Pharisees, Sadducees, and other people. And Jesus was in the house teaching. He'd come back to town. He was there teaching, and it said the power of God was present to heal. And it says heal them, I believe. So who was it present to heal? Anyone who would receive it. But only one person, according to the inspired scripture, was recorded as having received that power, as having been a benefactor of that power, a beneficiary of it. And it was the man that his four homies brought him up and could not get him through because of all the flipping people that were standing in there. The house was packed. I mean, like a bunch of sardines, people hearing the word. But bless God, you can hear and hear and hear the word and not receive a dime of power from it. And the anointing can be right there ready to slap you in the face. And yet you will not receive a single thing. But yet it took the faith to generate the response and the transference of that anointing. The faith of four men who loved their buddy and wanted to see him raised up from his condition. And they tore through the roof. They couldn't get him through. So, boy, here they go up on top of the roof and tore through. What would we do, folks, if we had that situation? You know, you're sitting here, and, I mean, it would take a lot to tear through this roof. Just think about that. So those are examples. Jesus didn't have carte blanche to use the power of God at will. The Spirit's manifestations were still according to the Father's will. Amen? The Spirit's manifestations through Jesus, even though He operates without measure, did not put any measures on the Spirit, the manifestations of the Spirit's power were only according to the will of God. So it was not according to Jesus' will, it was the will of God. And I submitted those three examples to found that. So number two, we're looking at Jesus' ministry here, some concepts of faith. Even with unlimited spirit, Jesus' ministry focus, I submit to you today, if you don't hear one thing, I want you to hear this. With unlimited, with him not limiting the spirit, with him operating in the fullness of the spirit, 100% of the time, all the time, his ministry focus was developing faith, was developing faith. And I submit this to you, Matthew 9.35. Matthew 9.35, turn there, please. Because I want you to see this. Make sure that I'm not lying to you. Matthew 9.35. I'm going to wait till some pages stop turning, most of them. I want you to see this. Okay, and Jesus went about all the cities and villages, this is New King James Version, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Now, when we read this scripture, how many of y'all have read that scripture before or heard it? He went about teaching in the synagogues, preaching in their towns, and healing all manner of disease and sickness. Well, you know what? A lot of times the amen corner really gets rolling on that last part in healing all manner of disease and sickness. Amen, brother. Healing. But I think a lot of us forget the first two 
of the things that are actually said there. He went about teaching, number one. He went about preaching, number two. Well, then my submit to you that if this is an encapsulation of the ministry of Jesus Christ in a threefold manifestation, how much of it was actually delivering knowledge for faith to be built? Two-thirds of it. And this is a gross, you know, this is a gross characterization of Jesus' ministry. But I'm telling you right now, folks, why would the Holy Spirit bring this through, through, uh, who is this, Luke, or Matthew? Why would he bring this through Matthew? I'll tell you why. Because, and if you go and look up the word teaching, teach, taught in the, in the four gospels, you'll see it's in there scores of times, dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of times. Because Jesus' primary focus was to do one thing, folks, and that was to develop a foundation of faith in people. And I tell you this morning, folks, with everything within me, that ministry must go on. That ministry has to continue because we can have the spectacular manifestation of the Spirit of God from Sunday to Sunday to Sunday, but it will not be the foundation for victorious living hour to hour to hour. Because you have to walk out these things. You have to have a foundation in your heart based on the faith that has come from the rhema to you that God has spoken, not spoken to me. Not spoken to Dale, not spoken to Pastor CJ, but spoken to you. So that's why Jesus went about, two-thirds of his ministry, I submit to you this morning, was about cultivating faith in people. Because what was he talking about? You look at it when he, I mean, what would he be teaching? He's teaching the precepts to deliver faith to people's hearts. He went about teaching, preaching, and healing. So if we look at Jesus' ministry in these three areas, Jesus spent two-thirds of his time working to establish faith in people's lives. The second thing, if Jesus, even with unlimited spirit, Jesus' ministry focus was on developing faith. Well, the second point of that is that Jesus, you're going to see that he didn't focus on the spectacular, quote-unquote, the fireworks show, quote-unquote, in ministry, but on developing a foundation of faith in people's lives. And I tell you what, folks, we too often focus on the spectacular and miss the supernatural. And that's a, that's a quote of Kenneth Hagin, someone that I have, have devoted a lot of my time to, to teachings that have come through him and other people of faith. And I tell you what, that is absolutely the truth. We get so focused on the spectacular, we miss the supernatural. In Jesus' life, in ministry, a lot of us times we're so focused on the eyes being felt developed back in people's heads, the ears opening up and things like that. And we get so focused on just the raw edge and result of, of that, and we forget and don't even see that those things came about the majority of time as a result of faith that Jesus had delivered to someone that they acted on, not the manifestation of the Spirit. That's a shock this morning. It was not the manifestation of the Spirit. You have to change the word to to make it so. You look at a lot of times, and what did Jesus say? What was the primary response by Jesus to a lot of the most incredible miracles you'll see? Or incredible. I should never use that word. The most astounding and awesome things that happened. Daughter thy Behold, I'll tell you, I've never found such... 
Do you see what I'm saying this morning? And yet, how did that come? It came by them receiving the word of God and then having a rhema acting upon that and receiving the result. It made a demand on the spirit then. If, if you don't believe me, then why didn't Jesus heal all the people at the pool of Bethesda? If he didn't, then that means that Jesus' hands were tied. That means that the power of, of, of God is contained, is limited. It is measured based on faith. That's why Jesus went about teaching and preaching and then healing. The ministry focus was not on spectacular, folks. It was on the supernatural. And I tell you, we've got to get our eyes up from what is tantalizing, what seems to be that thing that you are just so focused to see in terms of a physical manifestation and realize the the supernatural working in your midst on a minute-to-minute basis. Realize the supernatural working on What about teaching under the anointing? That's supernatural. You've got a natural vessel with God's super coming on it, if it'll yield to it. Amen? I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about every single person out here that can speak under the utterance of God. And that's every single one. To everyone has been given the ministry of reconciliation. Every single person here, and that ministry is nothing more, is, well, nothing more. That ministry is telling people that their sins are no longer counted against them. Praise God. Is that good news? If you can go to someone that has lived their life captive to, and enslaved to problems in their life, and you can go and tell them, brother, it doesn't make any difference. Sister, it doesn't make any difference what you've done. I'm telling you today, there is a blank check in the bank of righteousness, unlimited right standing with God that you can cash in if you'll receive it by faith. And then it doesn't make any difference what you have done because it's the great exchange. Hallelujah. Jesus has exchanged his righteousness for our eternal separation, potential eternal separation from him. Okay. You know, bringing a, due, a word in due season to somebody, folks, that's, that's supernatural. If, you, if, you're, if you're listening to the ear, you got your ear tuned to the Spirit of God, you're going along and then the God just pricks your heart, pricks your heart, pricks your heart about going to someone and telling them something, and you see it manifest peace in their lives, that's supernatural. Praise God, man. So let's, let's, don't, let's be like Jesus. Let's don't be looking for the spectacular in everything we're doing and miss the supernatural. Let's walk in the supernatural of him ordering our steps every day. The steps of the righteous are ordered of God. That's supernatural. Praise God. That means that I have got a path that if I will just choose to yield unto God, listen to the voice of spirit, I can walk out and I'll never make a false step. Hallelujah. I mean, the path of God, the path of the righteous is laid out, folks. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy. That doesn't mean he's taking us through easy street. Jesus said, in this world, you'll have trouble. But don't fear. Don't let your heart be troubled. You can experience trouble, but don't let it enter your heart. Because Jesus overcome the world. But you still have to walk out the steps that he's ordered of you. Just because he's ordered them doesn't mean you walk them out. Amen or oh me. Okay, so the third thing about Jesus, looking at Jesus' ministry. When you consider the miracles with substantive testimony. 
substantive testimony, if you go through all four books of the, of, of the gospel, all four gospels, if you started at Matthew chapter 1, 1, and you went all the way through John chapter whatever it is, then the last chapter and verse of John, and you denoted every miracle that were, was wrought by Jesus' hand that had substantive testimony. In other words, like the one with the issue of blood, that has more than two or three sentences that describes what's happened. Like the faith of the centurion servant, or about the centurion with regard to his servant, that has multiple sentences that describe that. I'm talking about substantive testimony. You'll find that there's about 20 of them. 20 of them. And if you do that, then what I want you to do is, is I want you to see how many of them, how many of them are wrought by the person's faith. Not manifestation of the Spirit, but by the person's faith. They're manifested by the person's faith. And you'll find that it's about 12 out of 20. About 12 out of, well, there's 19 of them. About 12 out of 19. 12 out of 19. Is that a majority? If that's a majority, then I submit to you, by, if, the Holy, if these men were operating under the Holy Spirit to write and record what we see in, in the uh, Gospels, which they were, then why is it that we see the majority of Jesus' manifest miracles resulting from the people's faith and not supernatural manifestation of the spiritual gifts if it's not more important? Do you see what I'm saying? Faith is important. Faith is important. Again, the supernatural over the spectacular. Okay, so Paul's ministry. Paul's ministry. Let's look at his real quickly. Acts 14, 1 through 10. And I'm just going to have you read it sometime. Don't have to read it right now. Well, matter of fact, let's just go there. I'm sorry. Acts 14. You can follow along and I'm going to read it. Okay, at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. I want you to see that. They spoke so effectively that a great number of people believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their mind against the brothers. Boy, does that sound like something common today? So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord. And it says that who confirmed the message of this speaking with uh, his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. I want you to see that. God gave them grace after they spoke to perform miraculous signs and wonders. That is moving by the Spirit of God, ministering the gifts of the Spirit as the will of the Father would would, uh, so move. The people of the city in verse 4 were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot... uh, a foot among the Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat in them and stone them. But they found out about it and led to Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derby, and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the good news. Jesus went about teaching, preaching, and then healing. Now, verse 8, in Lystra there sat a man crippled in his feet, who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul. Now, I want you to say, everyone say that. He listened, he listened, he listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. 
Now, I submit to you today, does everyone agree that the spiritual gifts were in manifest with Paul and Barnabas when they were here? It says it. He gave grace to confirm the word with signs and wonders, right? That's spiritual gifts manifest. Then I would ask you this morning, if that's the case, why is it that the Holy Spirit decided the only thing that was recorded in the way of testimony was a testimony about a man who was healed by his faith and not the supernatural manifestation of the spiritual gifts? Why? Why is it that the Spirit of God inspired Luke to record that story and not all these stories about these supernatural manifestations of the spiritual gifts? And I even submit this morning that some of you all sitting right here probably have Bibles that there is a little uh, section heading that says, Paul healeth the cripple. Does anyone have that? In their section of their Bible, where does it say, Paul healeth the cripple? Paul heals a crippled man? Anything like that? You know how you have that you're going through there and it's got little... Section headings. Does anyone have that? Okay, he has it. Does it say Paul healeth the cripple? Healing of the cripple, okay. Some of them actually say is Paul healeth the cripple. Some of the translations they say Paul healeth the cripple. That's absolutely not right. Did Paul heal this cripple man? Did he lay hands on this cripple man? Did he did he deliver a manifestation of the spiritual gifts unto this man? What does it say, folks? You only can read into it what it says. It says, Paul, it says that this man who was crippled from birth, verse 9, he listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him and perceived that he had faith to be healed. So all Paul did was see the faith in the man. That's all he did. And then what he did was he spoke out and said, stand up. And guess what? Who is responsible then to act on faith? Faith without works is dead. It was the crippled man. Paul could have sat there and went, stand up, stand up, stand up. And if the man didn't ever stand up, he would never have been healed. So I submit to you, Paul didn't work a spiritual manifestation of, I mean, a manifestation of spiritual gifts. All he did was speak in a supernatural anointed word. And the, and the man listened to him. Paul perceived that he had faith that was born as a result of that listening. Receiving rhema word from that word that Paul was bringing under the unction of the Spirit. And then when Paul perceived and saw that faith, he just asked the man to act on it. That's all Paul did. Paul didn't heal this man. Would anybody agree with that this morning? I think I'm preaching better than your amen in this morning. Do you all see what I'm trying to do this morning? I'm trying to bring forth the importance of faith being born in our lives. The importance of us cultivating faith. If it was good enough for Jesus' ministry, if it was good enough for Paul's ministry, it's darn good enough for ours, folks. And that's the way we're going to have to live. Okay. So, so how about miracle? How about the third point? I'm talking about faith. What's the big deal? This is the third point. If you look in the, in the Gospels or the book of Acts, not one person, not one person was saved. Not one person that was healed was saved. CJ, you, you, you all be dancing before I get done with this. I challenge you, you go look and you tell me if there's one single person that was saved. I'll tell you in the Gospels, it's a moot point. Why? 
Because until Jesus actually died and was resurrected and went down to the Father to present his blood, no one could be saved. No one could have the regeneration of their spirit. So do you see what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, now I'm going to weave another thread, and it's one that CJ has, has said many, many times. But I'm going to give you the fa- word foundation for it, brother. This morning, if you never had it, you'll have it this morning. And we're all going to be responsible and accountable for it, too. Not one person healed in the Gospels or the book of Acts was saved. Even the book of Acts, you go and look. Not a single person that I have seen actually knew Jesus as their Savior. Why? Paul went to the Gentiles. They were completely outside the covenant. They were the people that the Jews despised and loathed. And yet Paul was sent unto them. Do you think they're saved? Good golly, they weren't even inside the first covenant as it was. But yet Paul, much, much of his miracles were manifest in Gentiles, not in Jews. So, of course, they weren't saved. And then, of course, everyone that Jesus healed, he healed before he went on the cross. You see what I'm saying? So there's no way they could have been saved. So I submit to you today. Well, don't let me jump ahead. The bottom line is, folks, miracles, signs and wonders are for one reason, and it's to confirm the good news. The supernatural manifestation of the Spirit in miracles, signs, and wonders is not to be a foundation for our faith who already believe, but it is to be a demonstration, an exhibition of the Word of God being true, CJ. Amen? And I tell you what, folks, it's not for these four walls. And if we have been, including myself, seeking the supernatural or seeking the spectacular, wanting to see the manifestation of the Spirit of God, and praise God we want to see that, We are not to be in a situation that we are pining our hearts away for that manifestation in the middle of this church body. We are pining our hearts away to see it manifested at Walmart, at the Oklahoma State University campus, wheresoever in the marketplace that we happen to be. And under the Spirit of God, you give a word in due season that founds faith. And you, like Paul, see that crippled condition in someone's life. And you say, stand up, brother. Stand up on your feet, sister. And then they respond to that word and the Spirit of God can move in them an anointing and exact a healing in their life. Spiritually, physically, soulishly. Hallelujah! Folks, we've got a skewed concept if we expect the supernatural manifestation of God over faith-born results in the church body. We've got a skewed concept if we expect the manifestation of the Spirit of God and miracles, signs, and wonders over, over. We should uh, want this. We desire spiritual gifts, like Paul said. We should desire to prophesy above all things in the manifestation of the Spirit. But we have got a skewed concept if we are looking for the spectacular folks in our midst and we are not invoking the supernatural manifestation based on a mature concept of faith being born in people's hearts and them acting on it. Here in this church body, that's what I'm saying, in the church, in your life. Because miracle signs and wonders, folks, are people that don't believe. People that don't believe, they have got to have confirmation. We have got people out there that, like Jesus said, if you don't freaking believe me for what I say, at least believe me for the word's sake. Now, that was Greg's version. That's what Jesus said. If you don't believe me for what I I, I say, at least believe me for the work's sake. 
And the sad reality is he's talking to his own disciples. But we're still in the same condition, folks. But the Holy Spirit wants us to see us mature and grow beyond this. Let's grow beyond it. Okay, so again, we don't seek the spectacular and miss the supernatural. We don't be, we're not supposed to be people that seek the spectacular and miss the supernatural. God expects his people to develop faith and live by it. He expects us to live, to develop faith, let it be born in our hearts, develop it, let it be a foundation for our lives, and then live and move and breathe and eat and sleep on it, by it, through it, with it. Hebrews 11:6 But without faith it is impossible to please him for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him we should grow in faith and appropriate his grace and precious promises on our own folks it's time for us to grow up hear the voice of the spirit this morning and Greg you too it's time for us to grow up And what that means is, is that once we've received the word of God, we are then accountable for that to act upon it. And acting upon it means that you let it come in and you let it become an engrafted word in your heart that produces some 30, 60 and 100 fold return. As you then through that faith speak into those things that are not as though they were and see the manifestation of that promise in your life. You walking that out day to day, moment by moment. Growing, growing in the faith of God. Folks, God expects more from His people. We are His people. Not the people out here in the, in the Walmart that don't know Him. I'm talking to the church now. We are His people. If you're a blood-bought, born-again child of God, you've received that, you've confessed the Lord as your Savior, you have come under the utterance of the Holy Spirit, having drawn you, you've you've responded to that. You are a blood-bought, born-again child of God, you're a new creature, and now your response and your every... That every cell of your spiritual existence has to move by the, the breath of Numa. And that breath, hallelujah, moves and responds to the energy of faith. God expects more. We're responsible. I'm here this morning to tell you, and I'm sorry if you're here and you didn't want this born upon you, but it's too bad. You have ears, you're going to hear what I'm about to say. If you don't want to hear and be accountable, then you can walk out the door. That's fine with me. But I'm here to tell you this morning, folks, we're responsible for what we've been taught. We are responsible for what we've been taught. And folks say to themselves, well, now, Greg, how can you say that? We're in church here. There's a lot of issues that are impossible. My Bible doesn't say that with all with God, some things are possible. My Bible says that with God, all things are possible. And then it also says... All things are possible to them that believe. Hallelujah. To them that believe. Does that sound like faith talk? Have you ever... Okay, so let me give you an example. School exams. Okay, young lady, you've just completed your Master's of Science, Arts. What is it? Master's of Science in... Okay, Design, Housing, and Merchandising. Whatever that is. That's awesome accomplishment, though. Congratulations. Okay, so let me ask you something, and you have, you've been to school most of your life, haven't you? Spent a good chunk of it in school. 
Have you uh, ever taken an exam? More than one? More than 50? Has anyone here ever taken an exam? Does anyone like exams? Stand up right now and we'll all slap you a couple times and say you're weirdo. No one likes tests, folks. No one likes them. I don't like tests. I, matter of fact, because there's a pressure involved in it. There's a pressure. There's a pressure involved in it. But I ask you, I submit to you this morning, just like the natural, if in the natural, folks, you are held accountable for your knowledge, what does the exam do? Is that what it does? It holds you accountable for what knowledge you have, right? Or don't have. Isn't that the purpose of the exam? To gauge the knowledge that you have actually put into your soul? To see whether or not you can exact that knowledge under pressure to prove out that you have learned the material? If in the natural, then, folks, that that is, this, that is the order of business, then I submit to you in the supernatural, it's even more so. So I tell you this morning, if you don't like tests, and none of us do, I'm sorry, because you're going to receive tests in the spirit as well. Every single one of us have many more exams that we are going to face. And those exams are exams to test the knowledge that the Spirit of God has delivered to you to see whether or not you have by the Spirit received it an engrafted word and it has actually took hold in you and is bringing forth a return. And if it is not, then you are not a doer of the word and the word is fruitless. Fruitless. And you will fail the exam every time. I submit to you this morning, we are held accountable, folks. We are held responsible. What I have taught this morning under the unction of the Spirit, though I endeavored to bring it forth in its purity, there's some, in, in fa- there's some fallibility in, in this vessel, not in the Word. But I submit to you this morning, if you have opened your heart, if you're hearing with the, uh, the ear of your spirit this morning, you're accountable for that Word. You're accountable for it, and you will have an exam. You know what I really hated was pop quizzes. Exams are always announced. Oh, I know. I got an exam on June 29th at 3.30 p.m. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, you know, a week or two, I got plenty of time, you know, and weeks go by. and it's like Then it comes up to two days before, and then the night before, it's like, okay, I'm going to study for that test. But pop quizzes, you don't have that luxury. Does anyone have a pop quiz before? That's why they call them pop quizzes. It's like, pop, here you go. How much are you actually learning? Are you applying yourself to this whenever I haven't told you that you're going to have to be accountable for it yet? That's accountability. That's a measure of accountability. Okay, so I I asked you this morning, have you ever, have you ever wondered... Why developed nations like America? Have you ever wondered why there is a lack of the quantity of of miracles in developed nations that we see in undeveloped or third world nations? Has that question ever entered your mind? It has mine. I mean, now we see the same quality of miracles, but we don't see the quantity. Like in Africa, oh, it's it's absolutely amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Awesome. I think about Reinhard Bonnke. I think about ministers like that that had been over there, John G. Lake, and others that saw the spectacular supernatural 
every single day, every single service, to the point that it wasn't just a, a, a couple, three or four people. Folks, we would be shouting and running here if we saw one person's ear pop open. But I'm talking about in the three and four and five figures, every service. I mean, spectacular supernatural things. I'm even talking about people that come be raised back from the dead. And you see that level of manifestation. And I asked this morning, you know, for you, how many of you all have ever asked that question? Why do we not see in developed nations like America the same quantity of miracles? We'll see the quality of it. We'll hear from time to time a person being raised from the dead. We'll hear from time to time a blind eye being open, an ear being open, someone's leg growing out. I mean, so it's the same type of miracles, but we don't see near the quantity. I'm telling you this morning... Aside from the trappings of familiarity, like Nazareth, they were familiar with Jesus. They knew him. They said, isn't this so-and-so's brother and -and so-and-so's sister that's here among us? That's familiarity. Aside from that trappings of that, it pertains to this issue that we're talking about, folks. God holds us responsible for the word, capital W, that you've received. You are supposed to grow thereby. And so the thing is... The developed nations have received the word, the word, the word, the word over and over for decades and, and even into the centuries. Now, the word has been delivered into the developed nations. They've heard the name of Jesus. They know about the salvation and the good news that the gospel brings forth. And they've heard that and heard that and heard that. And yet we want to expect and see the quantity of miracles that we see in undeveloped nations that have not heard that. And the, thing, the reason for it is because there is no account, people are, are being held accountable for that word, and they are not doers of it. Whereas you go to an undeveloped nation that has never heard it before, and you, they hear it that first time and then act upon it, then and receive the manifestation of God. That's what I submit to you this morning is the reason why. Because we have heard and heard and heard and grown weary with the hearing and have sat on our blessed assurance not being accountable for what we've received. Not moving in the accountability of that word that we've received. God, He demands accountability. If He has given you something, He said, don't, if you receive my word, He said, don't be hearers only. Be doers. So if you've heard the word, does God expect something of you? Yes, He expects you to be a doer. So if you heard it multiple times, do you think that that expectation is a little bit higher than the first person that's heard it the first time? Yeah, it's a little bit higher. What about if you've heard it your whole life? You've been to vacation Bible school and were raised in the church. You think you've heard the gospel enough? I hope so. 2 Timothy 3.14. Just write it down. 3.14-17. Listen to this. It says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. Listen to that. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, That the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So what he's saying there, he's talking about this very issue. You have the word of God. It's taught to you under the anointing. You should grow. You should be trained. You should be admonished. You should be equipped for every good work through that word. And you should come to a place of competency. Competency. 
And by the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost would say unto us this morning, Will you rise to the challenge of competency with what you have learned? Will you rise to achieve and receive by grace and move by faith to receive and move in competency on the word you have received? So I submit to you this morning, how, what, faith, what's the big deal? Faith, what's the big deal? Well, I've given some concepts this morning. It's a huge deal. If you can't get this this morning, folks, then we're in, we're in trouble. I mean, because we, we, if you can't see the plain sim, simplicity of the importance of developing faith in your life, I tell you this morning, you know, we, we cry. We roll in agony at the loss of our loved ones, at the loss in our lives that we might see in the natural, wondering, why God, why God, why God? And yet the whole time God is crying in heaven, saying to himself, I've delivered every, I've blessed them with all manner of spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. And I have given them my word. And I have, under the unction of the Spirit of God, delivered unto them the very thing that they need. But they don't meet with accountability in that. And my hands are tied. And I tell you, this morning we are to grow thereby. We are to move in this concept, folks, every single day. We are to grow and to mature. And I just feel the Holy Spirit this morning just asking us, you know, mature, grow thereby, become competent. Become competent in this. Praise God. Just stand to your feet with me this morning. I'm finished. This is not a condemnation message. I hope no one is receiving condemnation. This is just an exhortation, an admonishment by the Spirit to everyone, including me. God expects us to grow on. And I said that on purpose, not go on. He expects us to grow on. Hallelujah. And I see people this morning that know what I, that have received the word this morning. And I thank you, Holy Spirit. For that manifestation, I praise you, Holy Spirit, for your grace to bring that 30, 60, 100 fold as we receive this word and engrafted seed. And Jesus, we invite the light. We invite your truth. First of all, we thank you again for living in America. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Oh, God, for this country that was founded on.